This is episode 23. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. As so-called able-bodied individuals, I think a lot of us would agree that we have a tendency to take for granted our ability to walk where and when we want, to take showers without any assistance, to go out in the rain if we want to, holding an umbrella, walking up the front steps of your house to your apartment. But imagine if you were caught in a disaster, an earthquake, for example. What would you do if you couldn't just get up and run? Or if you couldn't get up to hide under a table? Well, that's the case for a lot of people. Those people with access and functional needs. Well, that's the kind of thing that we here at Cal OES do not take for granted. In fact, We have an office dedicated to that very thing. Today, we're going to sit down with Vance Taylor. He is the chief of the Cal OES Access and Functional Needs Office. Today, he'll talk about those things that we all take for granted, but if you are an access and functional needs person, they're the things that you think about every single day. And when disaster strikes, those are the things that could mean the difference between life and death. We'll sit down with Vance Taylor right now. Coming in off the holidays, I think we're all ready to get back to work. At least I know I am. I had a little too many sweets, a little too much eggnog, and uh, I don't know about Vance Taylor. Did you have uh, some eggnog this holiday? Eggnog and plenty of chocolate and candy cane. (laughs) I think that's like most of us. I don't know. Some people don't like eggnog. I like it. To me, I grew up drinking this stuff, so it's it's awesome. Of course, when I was younger, it was non-alcoholic. Yeah. Well, there there you go. We... uh... That's how we do it in my household. I find I drink too much. I get a tummy ache anyway. So. Yeah. You, plus, it's so high in calories and fat. You can't yeah, have all I, that. Well, it doesn't count if it's a holiday, so. <laughs> that's true. I keep forgetting that. I always have guilt after the holidays. That, that's why it's the magical time of the year. <laughs> it is magical for sure. So uh, Vance Taylor here, obviously, uh, talking about uh, access and fun- functional needs. Vance, you are the chief of... Uh, the Office of Access and Functional Needs, AFN, here at Cal OES. Um, let's uh, go back a little bit. Before we get too deep into what that is, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, maybe some folks out there are familiar with access and functional needs. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they're new to state service. Uh, maybe they're new to listening to this podcast. And they've never heard that before. But anyway, tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go into how you came to work for OES. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sean. Abs- I'm wonderful. I've been wanting Fantastic. to have you here for a long time. This is a this is a good get. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of my personal background, uh, I'm a native Californian. You know, uh, my mother was uh, born in Mexico, raised in El Salvador. Hmm. Came here when she was 22, uh, and I was born in Sonoma County, uh, which is where I was uh, primarily raised. Uh, there's three of us in the family. I'm the youngest, so if you're keeping track here. Uh, I'm the only boy and the youngest in the Latin family, hmm. which is a very good gig. Ah, yeah. Uh, my sisters would say that I was spoiled. Uh, I say I'm well loved. <laughs> I think it's all in your perspective. It is. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from here and uh, uh, lived here 
all the way through uh, high school. Uh, after that, I went to college, BYU, about 14 hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back for a year, and then I moved to D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was supposed to be a three-month internship. Uh, I was interning with Congressman Mike Thompson. Okay. What happened? Uh, well, you know, I'd saved up enough money to stay for three months, and so we asked, how long do you want to be here? And I said, about three months. And uh, a month in, I was offered a full-time uh, position. Oh, good. Doing what? Uh, working as legislative aide. Okay. So I was handling immigration issues for him, but which after 9-11 turned into Homeland Security. Huh. Right? So it was less about, well, let's look at visas uh, and, and migrant workers, which is uh, primarily what he was dealing with in Napa Valley, uh, and more about how do we keep Al-Qaeda from coming across the border. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I was thrust into Homeland Security. Uh, and I loved it. It was like a sponge. And just absorbed it, uh, and it was wonderful. And that we were creating it kind of as we went. Mm. Um, nobody had really understood you know, what is Homeland Security. Uh, so I, I did that uh, for a few years, and then ended up working with uh, Congresswoman Zell Lofgren because she was on the Homeland Security Committee. Uh, and so it gave me a really close, uh, in-depth look at that issue. Uh, which I did for a, a few years before eventually leaving to uh, go to the private sector. At that point, I'm married with kids, and I've got a mortgage. Uh-huh. Uh, some student loans to pay off. So, oh, yeah. You know, working on capital is great, but uh, it's no place to make a living. Ah, uh, yeah. I think uh, uh, that would surprise some people, but I think most of us know. <laughs> You're right. You're right about that. So you uh, came back to California. I did. So... Um, what was funny is what you know started out as a three-month internship ended up as about a 13-year uh, stint in D.C. Hmm. Uh, while I was out there after the Hill, I uh, worked for a, a major association and led their security policy program. And then I became a, a principal at a firm that called Catalyst Partners, and we did Homeland Security emergency management work. So the thing with Homeland Security was that we got to a point where we realized – I can never buy risk down to zero. And eventually something will, will go wrong. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a hurricane, a flood, or a terrorist attack, I'm gonna have to deal with the cleanup. And that's where emergency management really came into play. Was what do I do when something goes wrong? And what I found was that in that realm, there was a really big gap. And the gap came in the way that we plan and prepare to address what we call access and functional needs within emergency response. So that is anybody who has a disability, uh, children, older adults, uh, people who are pregnant, uh, folks with limited English proficiency, transportation disadvantage, this group that we see is disproportionately impacted regardless of what the emergency or disaster is. Um, and that was highlighted really during Hurricane Katrina. Because hmm. in Hurricane Katrina, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but 70% of everyone who perished had a disability or an access or functional need. Really? I, you know, you're right. I don't think I've ever heard that. And what's remarkable is that they only comprised 15% of the total population. So what does that say about the way that we had integrated their needs up to that point. 
right? It just isn't something that happened. Right. And so California, being as amazing as California is, uh, the governor in 2008 decided to get out ahead of this and created the Office of Access and Functional Needs and put it within his Office of Emergency Services. Hmm. And it was led by a gentleman named Richard DeVelder, uh, who was a, a great advocate and a, a great proponent for people with uh, disabilities and access to functional needs. And at that point, I'm still in, in D.C. And life is good. And uh, my family's here in California. And my mom's calling all the time, when are you coming home? When are you mm-hmm. coming home? Which I thought actually was for me. But it turns out, no, it was for the grandkids. Ah, uh, yes. I had my day in the sun. <laughs> Um, uh, you were part of it. I, sure. I like to think I was in the mix. <laughs> um, so Richard retired. And they advertised the position. And they were looking for somebody who had an expertise in online security and emergency management, who understood the disability experience. And uh, you, know, you can't tell on the podcast, but uh, I have muscular dystrophy and I've, I've used a wheelchair uh, almost my whole life. Hmm. Uh, so I'd like to think I've got a pretty good perspective and understanding on that. I would that. think so. Uh, they wanted somebody who was preferably bilingual, which I speak Spanish, thanks to mom, mm-hmm. and somebody who was a California native. And I thought, well, if that's not tailor-made for me, gee, I just don't know what is. No pun intended, That's Vance right. Taylor. That's exactly right. And uh, so I tossed my hat in the ring. Now, it's a political appointment, right? So it's a, it's a different process. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to, at least I was used to applying for a job. And then it's like, we'll call you in two weeks. So this was like, get us all your info and then wait. And wait. Then wait and, and wait. wait. <laughs> and yeah. right when you think we forgot about you, that's when we're going to call. Oh, wow. And so they called and said, uh, your appointment went through. Uh, the governor's excited and he wants it here in three weeks. And I was like, really, three weeks? All I have to do is sell my house, pack up my family, pull my kids out of school, and move 3,000 miles. Uh, can you say stress? I mean, that was like a zero to 60 event. Yeah. And But we did. We um, got this big trailer and loaded up our stuff. And whatever didn't fit, we packed in the minivan. And my wife and I and our two daughters and our two puppies... Mm crammed in that minivan and we drove 3,000 miles. Wow, that is an epic journey right there. I mean, the tales I could tell. <laughs> we'll make that another podcast. That, unless... <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a disaster management story in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and, uh, and yeah, so we got out here and I got sworn in on August 3rd, uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. And that that afternoon, we had a declared disaster. Which one was that? Uh, this was uh, the Jerusalem fire. Okay. And I was like, I didn't do it. it wasn't uh, me. Yeah, uh, I swear. Like, you were supposed to bring the rain, not the fire. Oh, no. So I'm trying to learn where the light switch is. And at the same time, we're, we're activated. Um, so that, that went on for about a week. And I, I called Richard. He, Richard uh, had retired and was in L.A. Mm. And every time I called Richard, he was like, am on the beach or I'm going to the beach or I'm leaving wow. the beach. You know, I was nice. like, I got to retire. Yeah. And he said, look, I'm going to come up and we'll spend a few days. We'll kind of go through everything. And the weekend before he was supposed to come, my phone rang 
and I was informed that he had passed away. Oh, yeah. Which, total shock. Shocked everybody here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just a real loss. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, you had that feeling of loss and, and shock. And and on the other hand, you know, I, as, as the chief of the office, I understand that there's a tremendous uh, loss in that all the institutional knowledge is no longer available to me. Mm. And so I had to figure out real quick, you know, where's the true strength of our office? Mm. And for us, we, you know, I determined that that was with our partners. That as wonderful as it is to have the word governor in our title, the real strength comes in the partners we have. And that's at other state agencies, uh, that's at the federal level with FEMA, and that's at the local level. Mm. Uh, really at the local level. Yeah. And two weeks after that, we had the Butte Valley fires. Big time. The third and seventh, respectively, worst fires in the history of the state. And so suddenly I was thrust into this uh, unique, not seen before situation where these fires are burning at the same time. Mm-hmm. And FEMA is coming in and you know they want to know what's happening and what are we doing. And I'll tell you that it is because of our partners that we were able to save lives. And you coming in brand new to California State Service, mm-hmm. brand new to the position, without really anyone, uh, uh, your predecessor, like you said, uh, wasn't available to you to help walk you through the processes. This must have been one of those drowning feelings. Was it or was it not? Was it panicky or... Yeah, I mean, you wanted to get it right, and you knew that lives were in the balance, and so it, it weighs on you. Mm. Um, I had done enough in emergency management, and I had, I think, prepared enough to that point that I didn't feel completely out of my element. Uh, but certainly, it was new, and it was unfamiliar, and I knew that it, I had to get it right the first time. And you're still here, which means you survived the whole process. I did. I did. It was amazing. And it was funny because, um, you know, on the latter side, we had just closed on our home. Uh, we, we lived, I think, the first month just with my mom out of one room. Mm. And then we closed on our home, and then I was gone with the fires. And do you work in these, like, 12, 13, 14-hour days uh, every day, seven days a week. And so I'd come back to this house. And then I would see some boxes unpacked and uh, more boxes unpacked. And by the time the fires were o- over, we were totally moved in. Uh, mm. But I, I hadn't spent more than just a few hours any, any given night at the house. Unbelievable. It seems like that just that time frame just kind of whooshed by. Oh, it was wild. We had, yeah. I think, 33 or 34 days straight where it was like those 14, 15-hour days. Wow. Well, you obviously had some resolve. You had confidence in what you were doing. Uh, there's something in your character and makeup that allowed you to survive this. Uh, what do you think helped you get through that? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer uh, that preparation and opportunity meet one another. Uh, and I'm a big believer in relationships. And we're so fortunate here at Cal OES, to have the best partners in the world. You know, we'd reach out to independent living centers and regional centers and disability stakeholders 
and emergency managers, and every time they picked up the phone, they took the call, they took my meeting, and every time wanted to know what can we do. And so I, what I found was you had the right people wanting to do the right thing, and all I had to do was empower them. And when it comes to moving resources and, and taking care of things on the logistical side and providing leadership, I knew I could do that. Uh, but it wouldn't have worked without them there, boots on the ground to get it done. Well, it sounds like uh, you had the necessary leadership skills then uh, to make sure that those people you know, did what you needed them to do, help you out, as well as the overall uh, mission. So tell me a little bit about what access and functional needs is and your, your sort of day-to-day work in that area. Sure. So, you know, if you look historically, uh, it's been a bit of a fight for individuals, uh, primarily with disabilities, to be integrated into society. You know, so for example, when I was young, uh, my mom had to threaten to sue the school in order for them to let me into the mainstream education uh, classes. Even though muscular dystrophy didn't affect me uh, cognitively or intellectually in any way. Um, the sense was, if you have a physical disability, then you go to special ed. Um, and so it takes time to be able to culturally uh, move past that. Now, there's a lot of help along the way. The ADA uh, certainly helped. Um, and, and just time, you know, we, we come to see people for their value and what they can contribute. Um, but there does tend to be a sense of uh, out of sight, out of mind. And so when emergency managers are putting their plans together, they'll say, for example, okay, we're going to evacuate this town. Fantastic. How do we get people out? We send buses. Great. Well, what about people that can't get on a bus? What about people that need accessible transportation services? And then the question is, oh, yeah, I don't know. Where do I even go to get that? How do I arrange for that? Where are those people? And that's what I would think would be maybe the, a challenging thing is to know who is in that community or communities, know who they are, how many you've got, uh, and what their needs are. So do you make that, do you have outreach ahead of time or do you just have keep people that you rely on? So I spend a great deal of my time going up and down the state, uh, talking to emergency managers and stakeholders, uh, trying to facilitate relationships, talking to them about how do you reach out? How do you communicate? How do you build a plan together? Um, how do you work with the whole community? Uh, and then we develop tools and resources to help. Uh, one of the tools we came up with uh, really came after the uh, the active shooter attack that happened December 2nd, uh, 2015 in San Bernardino. So what happened was, as you're aware, the regional center uh, was attacked by terrorists. And because it's a regional center, because they serve individuals with intellectual disabilities, uh, uh, developmental disabilities, we thought it was an attack on the disabled. And that's how the news was reporting it initially. And you can't, you know, you can't wrap your mind around that, right? Why would somebody do that? Uh, but it, it doesn't make any more or less sense. And why do they attack schools? Um, now, it turned out 
that that wasn't the case, which is wonderful. But it did shine a light on the fact that there wasn't much guidance in terms of what do you do from an access and functional needs perspective during an active shooter attack. And you look at DHS and their mantra is run, hide, fight. And I say, okay, well, you lost me at run. Yeah. Right? So now what? And you look at the run, hide, fight video, and it's a, I mean, it's a powerful video. But if you ever watch it closely, there's not one single frame where you see somebody with an access and functional need. What you see are people sprinting to evacuate mm-hmm. and hurtling and, you know, very active uh, folks there. Uh, and so what we did was we reached out to our partners uh, and it was funny because, uh, so I went that afternoon, the afternoon of the shooting, uh, and I talked with our executive uh, leadership, Nancy Ward, uh, and the director, and said, there's a gap, we need to fill it. And right away they said, go do it. And on my way down, we got a call from the State Council on Developmental Disabilities, and they said, guys, we're concerned about it. What can Cal OES do? And we said, why don't we form a, a work group and we'll develop this guidance that will address access and functional needs in an active shooter awareness uh, context. And we'll give you the first seat at the table. And so they sat down and we brought in emergency managers and law enforcement. Uh, we brought in all kinds of disability stakeholders. Uh, it was phenomenal. And six months later, we came up with this guidance. And we ended up with this issue where we've got now a, a guidance for access and functional needs. And then you've got the Cal OES Active Shooter Awareness Guidance, right? And the question is, what do we do? Do we release the AFN guidance? Which means we now have two, one for the walkers and one for the rollers. Mm. Uh, I can make that joke, by the way. I know you can. I wasn't going to. <laughs> uh, and we said no. I mean, this, for us, this was a no-brainer. We do not develop separate guidance documents. Huh. Okay, We integrate access and functional needs in everything we do. So we have one plan that covers the whole community. And so what we did was we updated the original plan with this new information and created the first ever, first of its kind, access and functional needs specific, uh, excuse me, we created the first ever uh, active shooter awareness guidance that's fully integrated to incorporate access and functional needs. And so you can go through and you can see uh, what run, hide, fight means for people of all capabilities. And the second it came out, it got picked up by hot, like hotcakes. It's been downloaded uh, many, many times. I've got calls from New York, Washington, uh, Texas, uh, Rhode Island called, uh, somebody in Pittsburgh. They want They all want to know, can we take this? Can we use it? Uh, can we copy it? Can we use it as a blueprint? And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Um, so we're proud of it. Should be. And uh, FEMA the Emergency Management Institute has a copy and they will be using it to 
update and incorporate within their access, or excuse me, their uh, active shooter uh, training programs that they do nationwide. Wow. So the idea here is no matter where you are in the country, if you take a FEMA sponsored course on active shooter awareness, you'll get the access and functional needs part two. Well, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, it sounds like, obviously I haven't read it, but it sounds like something that was done right the first time. So one of the things that we learned coming out of the uh, Butte Valley fires was it took way too long to identify the AFN or access and functional needs related resources that we needed. Hmm. Um, so what I mean by that is uh, I went to the shelters and there's no accessible showers. Okay, so you've got people who are, you know, it's hot and it's muggy and people are sweaty and covered in ash and grime and filth. And because they have an access to functional need, they've got to wait four days before they can take a shower. And so I resolved that we're never going to let that happen again. Uh, but part of that was understanding, well, how do we streamline the process of identifying procuring and deploying these resources, which by the way, are very limited in number. Right. So we came up with a web map and the idea behind the web map was sort of like Google maps, right? If I want to know where Domino's pizza is, I type in Domino's and boom, they all come up and they'll tell me how to get there and what hours are open and they'll rate it. it you know, all my pizza needs are met. Mm -hmm. So why not access some functional needs resources? Why not a map that allows me to type in my city and be able to identify where the interpreting services are, mm -hmm. where the translators are, where the regional centers and, and uh, independent living centers are, where I go to get a uh, wheelchair accessible uh, resource such as a porta potty or hand washing station or a shower. And so we took all that information and that's what we did. We partnered with our GIS division and developed that map. Hmm. And what's really neat is um, we broke it down by county. So if you were to click on your county, uh, you get a pop-up and it says, here's your total population. And here's the, the individuals in your population by number uh, who have a disability or an access or functional need. And it breaks down disability by type. So here's how many are deaf, here's how many are blind, or low vision, here's how many that uh, use wheelchairs. And that's up and, and running now. It sure is. Um, off, and you can access it off of our, uh, off of our webpage. Okay. Um, and it's uh, caafnwebmap.org. Okay. Um, right. And so what's interesting about that is uh, just by looking at your county statistics, you then get a sense of, well, what am I going to need during a disaster? Right? If 5% of my population are deaf, I'm going to need an ASL interpreter. And so you think, well, where do I go to get one? The map shows you the closest one. You click on it. You've got a contact info for somebody 24-7. So you make that arrangement. So whereas before when there was a disaster... We start asking these questions after we've made a declaration. Which time is ticking. That's right. Uh, and, you know, my closest shower might be eight hours away. Oh. So 
So now what we can do is we get out ahead of it. If I know there's a fire, we might have a, a declaration. We might need shelters. I start making all the arrangements now mm. so that once that deck comes through, we pull the trigger on it and the resources go out the door. So whereas it took four days to get an accessible shower in Lake County, at in Kern County, we had accessible showers there an hour after the shelter had opened. Amazing. All because we were able to use that web map. Amazing. It really is. And and for those people who take that kind of thing for granted, trust me, that was a big deal to the AFN community. Oh, yeah. Big deal. You know, and that's the thing is we uh, we need to think about things like disability as part of the life experience, right? So I was born uh, and I had muscular dystrophy and I was diagnosed when I was seven. Mm. When I was diagnosed, my doctor said, uh, we had these, these muscle biopsies and we knew what we, what we had, but we didn't know the, the prognosis. And the doctor looked at me and said, uh, your body's gonna fail you. You'll start to trip and fall. You'll be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. High school will be an impossibility. Uh, forget about college. Uh, there's no treatment. And then looked at my mom and said, Mrs. Taylor, your son will depend on you for care for the rest of his life. For your sake and his, lower whatever expectation you have. Wow. And we got home and my mom said, as smart as that man is, he's an idiot. Yeah. You're smart, you're funny, you're talented. You'll go as far as you push yourself to go. You are so lucky to have a mom like that. Oh, she's just an angel. Wow. And uh, and so I pushed. And, you know, I did go to college. I have a master's in Homeland Security. I've done a lot of neat things. Um, but all that to say that there is an ability within each of us to provide value, to make a contribution. Now, we in government have a role and a responsibility to all people to meet their needs, to accommodate them, to ensure for their safety and their protection within the services that we provide, whether you happen to have an access or functional need or not. So when we work together to understand what our, our unique needs might be, we end up fostering relationships of trust and developing products, tools, resources, and plans that enable the safety and security of all our citizens. See, and you're talking here about uh, realization, understanding. Tell me a little bit about, from your experience, what you think, um, you know, what first responders and emergency workers may not realize about uh, AFN when it comes to disasters. Is there something that you've recognized that maybe they're just not aware of? You know, I, I think sometimes uh, we think it's, it's something distant, um, when in reality, if you stop for just a minute, and think about the members of your family or your friends or your neighbors, folks in your community that you know who have a disability or an access or function need, it, it's not, it won't take you long to, to come up with someone, right? So maybe for me, that's like a, you know, my friend Steve. All right, so Steve's a great guy. And I wanna make sure that Steve's treated with respect and that his needs are accommodated and that if something goes wrong, that he'll be accounted for, mm. right? Because that's my friend and I, I care about him. So if we approach 
emergency management with that level of of personal commitment and personal connection in mind, we'll we'll account for people. Yeah. We'll meet that need. And so I think sometimes we miss the mark in that we think it's this ambiguous, distant thing and, and it's not. And the fact is reality uh, tells us that you know, things like disability are, are just a part of life. Mm-hmm. It's a part of life experience. How many people do you know who have broken a leg, uh, you know, playing football or whatever it is? How many people do you know that got diagnosed with cancer? How many people do you know that have gotten Lyme disease? Whatever it is that are diabetics that now have certain needs that they didn't have before, that now during an emergency would need to be accommodated in a way, whether that's to evacuate or be at a shelter, uh, that otherwise they wouldn't have, have had to deal with. What do you consider, you know, one or two of your greatest successes since you've come to OES working in AFN? Uh, I like to think that, that we're doing a lot to affect the culture of, uh, of emergency management in that we no longer think about we're going to plan for us and we're going to plan for them, right? We just plan for everyone. It's just what we do. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's great because... Inclusion, inclusion there. Yeah, that's right. You know, we never, uh, we'll never do a press conference where we go, oh my gosh, do we remember the, the cameras or the microphones? Right, that's a standard thing. So, so why would we do something without an interpreter? Mm-hmm. Right, why isn't that just a standard thing? And, um, and I mean, you know this, that our, our team is, is committed to that. And one of the things that we do that I'm really proud of is we promote that with the communities we serve. And so by leading, uh, we lead by example, and we show them the way. Um, and in doing so, we, we affect the culture uh, throughout the state. So I'm proud of that. I'm really proud of uh, the, the partnerships that we've developed. I think that there used to be a sense that when I showed up at your disaster site, that, oh no, the AFN guy's here, he's gonna pull out a clipboard and I'm gonna get dinged on all the things I'm doing wrong. Right, right. And in that sense, who in the world would be happy to see me? Right, nobody, and, I, and, and I'm not there, I'm not there to play the gotcha guy, all right, or the gotcha game. Um, I think people now know that I'm there to provide support, and I'm there to empower, and I'm there to help uh, in any way I can. And so it's not about uh, me finding what's wrong. It's about me helping you get where you want to be. Mm. And so I, I often tell people, look, I'm not I'm not as concerned about the speed you're going as, as much as I am concerned about the direction you're headed. Oh. And if you're making a good faith effort and you're trying to do the right thing, you know, we're going to be right there to support you. And, and we'll work that wall together, you know, because at the end of the day, Sean, we're either going to fail or we're going to succeed, but we'll do it together. That's a great, that's a great attitude. You have to have a great attitude to learn from mistakes that you've made as well. Uh, that's the only way you grow. Uh, when looking back on whether it was the, you know, the Lake Fire, um, any of the others that you've been involved with, uh, Kern, is there something that you wish you would have done differently looking back on it? Did you learn anything from maybe a mistake that you made? 
it's tough. Um, Kern, uh, in some ways, kind of broke my heart. Really? In that uh, I had, I was supposed to go out there, and I was going to present to the emergency managers, and we we're going to talk about integration, and we had tried, and it didn't work out like two, three different times, uh, schedule-wise. And, you know, Kern's like five hours out there, right? So it's not super close. Um, and so we we didn't go. And we were scheduled to go in a few months, and then the fires happened. Mm. And I, I just remember uh, it was a long night. We were moving resources and trying to coordinate with our partners. And I went home and I was almost in a daze because I just kept thinking, if if someone dies and I could have done something to have prevented that, you know, how do you how do you move on from that? Right. Right? And you know, my wife has done hey, you've you've done what you can. Yeah. It's not your fault. But but you know, you always have that sense. It's the same thing that, you know, sometimes you'll go and there's there's so many fires that happen all at once and you, you spend so much time going to shelters. And and I can almost almost every time I go to a shelter we find something that we can improve upon to help people. And you leave and you wonder, what if I hadn't gone? Right? We went to a shelter one time, they weren't letting people in with service animals. These people mm-hmm. were being forced to sleep on the burnt up front yards of their homes. Seriously. Because they wouldn't let him in with their service animals. And where was this? Uh, I'm not going to say where. <laughs> uh, I will say it was in, in Northern California. Okay. Um, I got that fixed real quick, by the way. I bet you did. <laughs> uh, that was, I'm usually a pretty even keel guy. <laughs> Until that happens. I got a little animated. Uh, yeah. But, but that was five days. Wow. And so I, you know, you go home and you think, what if I hadn't gone? And so it's, you know, you find these moments where you're coming back and it's, it's dark and it's late and you smell like soot and ash and it hits you that you went to four shelters, but there were five. So what did I miss? Mm. Right. It's, uh, it's motivation to work hard every day. Yeah. But there's also the realization that you'll, you'll never be able to do it all. Uh, and that's why, again, it goes back to, to the partners. Cause I'm one person, uh, our office is, is one office. And so we can't be everywhere, but we can work with our partners to make sure that all the bases are covered. And, and that's what we try to do. What helps you in terms and times of crisis? Uh, I'm very blessed to have uh, a wife who is a great listener provides great advice, kids, uh, to love me and remind me what's, what's really important in life. Uh, and you know, for me, it's, uh, I've got a deep sense of faith as well. And so I I feel like a lot of times, uh, particularly during a disaster and especially when you're, you're on site with survivors who sometimes all they want to do is just give you a hug and cry. Um, and if that's what they need, then that's what you give them. Uh, but when you're in that situation, I feel a lot of times like you're really, you know, at least from a faith perspective, 
you're helping your brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know, and that's why we're here. Uh, so that, that brings me a lot of fulfillment. And I feel very grateful to be able to play that role and very humbled to be a part of that process. Have you ever spoken with a counterpart in another state uh, agency, such as you know, an emergency management agency? I assume that California isn't the only one with a person in this similar position. Uh, so California and Georgia are the two that put it up at the executive level. Ah, okay. And so you've got other states that have access and functional needs coordinators. Um, some of them are more window dressing. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, because we're at the senior executive level, that obviously means, uh, you know, there's some teeth there, right? There's some bite, uh, which is good and enables us to, to do more. Um, I will say also that California is unique in that we are immensely supported in our mission from the governor, uh, from Director Gilarducci, uh, our Chief Deputy Director Nancy Ward are extremely committed to this. I've never once, not one single time, laid out an argument for why we needed to do something on the AFN side and been told no, hmm. uh, which is remarkable. Well, you're making good arguments. Well, it's a, yeah. it's a great mission to be a part of. Absolutely. So are there tools of the trade, so to speak, or maybe some other things that you use uh, that help you do your job that maybe some of us would be surprised at or maybe not. But is there anything that you use to help help you do your job? Oh, goodness. You know, we, um, I mean, we're only as good as our team, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so in that sense, I'm, I'm, it's an embarrassment of riches. Um, we've got a great team. In terms of tools, uh, you know, I won't say that I have a, a particular app or maybe a tool in the in the technology sense. Uh, I find that humor goes a very long way. I don't know if humor counts as a tool or not. I would say it does. Um, but I feel like you get in these high-stress situations and people's first posture tends to be defensive. Yeah. And so if you can if you can break that down with a, a, a joke, a smile, uh, it goes a very long way. You know, at the end of the day, it's we're, we're in the business of people. Yeah. Right, this is all personal relationships. Yeah. It's all about managing those relationships and working together and being collaborative in a sometimes difficult and grueling uh, environment. And I've been very fortunate to 99% of the time uh, have very overwhelmingly positive experiences. Well, that certainly makes coming to work more enjoyable, doesn't it? Oh, gosh. It's, yeah. it's so wonderful. Yeah. So what advice would you give uh, folks in your sort of position, um, uh, someone who has an access and functional need, who is either on the receiving side or the giving side of what you do? So uh, one of the things I tell them is you, you got to weigh the balance, right? So I'm, I'm in somewhat of a unique position in that I represent Cal OES to the community, and I represent the community to Cal OES. Right, and if I go too far one one way, mm. uh, the other side's going to take my lunch, right? <laughs> uh, and so, you got to understand that balance. I am an advocate. I am not an activist. Um, and so, in that sense, I think 
the approach I take is always uh, on the benefit of the individual with an understanding that there are limits to the organization. So I'll, I tell people, government absolutely has a role. Okay, we need to plan, plan for, respond, recover all with access and functional needs in mind every time. But we need to understand that there are limitations to government. So I tell people with access to functional needs, as individuals in this community, we need to plan as though no one's coming for us. We need to be ready for whether that's a day or three days to be on our own. So there's something to be said about the personal preparedness side, right? And I need to understand what can I count on government for and what am I going to be left to do on my own? And, and that balance and informing people about it and educating people about it and making sure that each side understands what the other can do is, is sometimes tricky uh, to get across, but really important because again, at the end of the day, you know, I can, I can hope you're going to come for me, but it's not much of a strategy. You know, uh, we, we got to be able to, to know what the limitations are. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. Um, Vance, thanks for coming in, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, you've, I think, opened a lot of eyes to a number of different topics uh, re related specifically to access and functional needs. Vance is uh, Vance Taylor, the chief of the Office of Access and Functional Needs here at Cal OES. Um, relatively, relatively new, um, but certainly making your mark already. And uh, it's one of those trial by fire kinds of things. You just, they throw you in and say, do what you can do, learn as fast as you can, and that's what you've done. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, to say it's a dynamic environment. I think probably uh, undersells it, but but yeah, it's been great. Great to have you. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, man. Well, just listening to Vance, you'd never know that he's part of the Access and Functional Needs family. Very smart guy, very intelligent, and pretty funny too. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to do just that. And we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to our podcast, both at the iOS App Store as well as the Android Google Play Store. That way you don't miss a single episode. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.